0: Lazarus. I'm so happy to be here with her, to be able to interview her. This is such an honor for me to do this for many, many reasons, which will be explained during the course of this interview. I don't know, should I call this an interview, or is this just going to be a conversation?
1: Well, you know it's me and you, and we are friends. Yeah. But beyond that, I'm not used to being the interview e. am used to being the interviewer.
0: Yeah, because you want control. <laughs> We'll get into that. But when I see Lila, there's, as a music guy, there's one song that comes to mind, and it goes like this. And you can name that tune. Ba-ba-da-ba, ba-ba-da. Ba-ba-da-ba, ba-ba. Yes. Indiana Jones theme song. And you're going to find out that this song has a lot of application to Lila Lazarus. During her lifetime... During her career and for all the adventuresome things that she's done. So I'm going to start from the beginning and we're going to go through these papers that I've got here because I am having, uh, I will be having problems just trying to assemble all this stuff in my brain. I start with this. As early as 1970, you're featured on a holiday special on WXYZ, is that correct? Correct. Then at age 13, again, you're on WXYZ, and this time you're hosting your own show called Kids Are People Too. Kids Are People Too. And then was it for this show that you won an Emmy Award? Yeah. You win an Emmy Award, your first Emmy Award, and you are now 14 years old. Correct. I'm going to skip around. You're going to college, you're going to universities, you're studying, okay. You attend Kalamazoo College. Mm-hmm. You graduated from Kalamazoo. Correct. You go to University of Michigan. Correct. You graduated from there. Correct. You're going to other colleges of, uh, well, there's, in
1: Bonn? University of Bonn, University of Freiburg, University of Massachusetts.
0: <laughs> I became a professional student for a while. Wow. But then you end up with two master's degrees, mm-hmm. and those are from?
1: University of Massachusetts and University of Michigan.
0: In degrees of?
1: Political science is one of them, and journalism is the other. Wow.
0: You go to the Ann Arbor News, which is more print orientation, Mm -hmm. right? And then you're a reporter there. How long were you there? So I wanted—I always loved to tell a good story, Mm -hmm. and I
1: thought print journalism would be the place for me to go. And I was in Ann Arbor for about a year, and they sent me on assignment to Nicaragua. They had a sister city. In Nicaragua, Huigalpa, Nicaragua. Mm-hmm. And Ann Arbor had sent a garbage truck to Huigalpa as a gift from Ann Arbor. Wow. And my assignment was to follow the garbage truck through Huigalpa on Christmas Eve. Oh my and gosh. so I saw Christmas through the windshield of this garbage truck. And it was spectacular. I mean, it was just spectacular. But the trouble was, On Christmas Eve, I was living with a family in Wigalpa. They placed me with a family in Wigalpa. Mm -hmm. Each family was allotted one gift per child. And this particular family lived in a cardboard shack with a military installation just above where they were living. And these bombs were going on. It was a a really wild time in Nicaragua. And yet... This little girl, Maria, whose Spanish was probably on the same level as my Spanish, mm-hmm. comes out of her cardboard shack with a dirt floor, perfect white clothing, smiling bigger than any child I'd ever seen smile, mm-hmm. and was so happy just to just to be with new people, with the one gift she received. And I knew no matter how eloquently I tried to describe this situation, as I'm trying now, mm-hmm. a picture would have said it all. And I came back and I got into television, and that's, that's, how I
0: got that's what television.
1: happened. Because as you know, sound tells a whole different story. Oh,
0: totally. <laughs> of course, yeah. Somehow or another, you get to Cadillac, Michigan.
1: Mm-hmm. I loaded up the car and went up to WWTV. Hmm. They asked me if I'd done television before. I said, yes. I didn't tell them it was when I was 14 years old. I thought <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to run the camera. <laughs> right. But I had to be... You know, camera person, producer, editor, anchor, and janitor—all in one. You yeah, know, of yeah. I, I really loved all the experiences I got there until I made it to the big city of fabulous Flint, Michigan. WJRT. Yes, which I absolutely love.
0: And how long were you there? Three
1: of the longer years of my life
0: mm-hmm. in
1: beautiful, beautiful Flint at a time um, that was actually—it was during the Roger and Me era, if you're familiar with that, with Michael Moore. Oh, sure. It was a very interesting time in Flint, very difficult time. But I absolutely loved it and, and really met some of the best journalists and had the most phenomenal boss. In well, the- you had
0: some experiences. I think it said reporting from the United Nations.
1: Well, what was really cool is from Flint. Mm-hmm. I still was able to do some overseas reporting. So I reported from Germany. I actually was in the Soviet Union during the coup.
0: I saw that in and Moscow. So that
1: was pretty And that was all from Flint. Mm-hmm. So that was pretty
0: cool international news
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: you go somehow or another you're going to baltimore so from Flint, I, where we're in baltimore where, uh, I mean, what,
1: wbal which okay. was the cbs station in baltimore
0: mm-hmm.
1: it was fabulous and that's where i really started to i think inject a few adventures into my reporting here's the deal whatever you do in life you can do it the same as everyone else mm-hmm. or you can try to do it your way with your team, with your passion as you always do
0: mm-hmm.
1: And I think one of my most memorable stories is it was hot. I was reporting and I was dressed kind of like I am now. Microphone, the whole thing. And it was really hot, but I noticed there was a pool behind me. So on the 11 o'clock news, as I'm doing something about the record heat, I simply drop the mic and toss myself into the pool on live news. And if I go to Baltimore now, there's still people who remember me.
0: You're the one that jumped into the pool. (laughs) But I have to ask you that... Motivation to do that because you're hot and that's why you did that. I mean, what? How does that happen that like you would just do this? Were you? It wasn't for the attention getting, right? No, it it's was all a about matter of
1: when you're just a cool off. If you're if you're in 110 degrees plus, you have TV lights on you and you're really really hot and you're trying to express to people if you have any air conditioning, stay indoors. This is dangerous heat. If you're outdoors, try to find some water to swim in, which is exactly what I did. Can I stop you for a minute yeah. and just tell you, I'm, I'm even honored and kind of tickled that you would even ask me all these questions. You know, you go through life and you do what you do and you don't know if, if it's interesting or not interesting. Oh or... my
0: God. Don't even start me on this because I had a dream last night. I was swimming in Lake Geneva because I think it's associated with the fact that you were swimming the Straits of Mackinac. <laughs> I'm sure that's what it was. And I came across some fishermen, and they said, "Are you okay?" I said, "I can keep on going. I can keep on going." And that, it so told me it was Lila. It was, am I Lila now or what? So, yeah. well, if
1: I inspire even one person to keep on going, you know, I didn't know how to swim when I did that. I had, I had, I knew how to dog paddle, but I had never taken official swimming lessons. Right. So I went to Oakland University. And my teacher's name was Bonnie, and she just taught me how to lift your arms, how to tilt your head, how to breathe. That was in May, and that September is when I swam the Straits of Mackinac.
0: So, and that was like five miles or something, wasn't it's
1: it? It's a full five miles, and we start in the dark. So you got to understand, you're in complete and total darkness, but for the lights of the bridge, the Mackinac Bridge. Oh my gosh. And so when you first... I'd be,
0: I'd be concerned about what's going to come to my feet in the water. <laughs> well,
1: the good news is it's fresh water and there. You don't have to right. worry about that. Yeah, okay. And it's 300 feet deep. So, But it is 300 feet deep and the waves are pretty huge and the current is, is pretty serious. And then, then there's the barges that are unbelievable that are going by. Plus, Can I
0: see you, the barges?
1: No. Plus, when the trucks are coming across the bridge, you hear the yeah and it sort of shakes the water. As you get close to the bridge and the lights from the bridge hit the pillars of the Mackinac Bridge, you can see those pillars going down 300 feet. That's the only thing that really, for some reason, scared me, is to see those pillars. So I had a, just so you know, I had a sheriff's boat next to me in case I died. But that sheriff just kept leaning over his boat going, I think you're crazy. (laughs) It's that moment of choice when you say cry and get out of the water, because I could have, or just keep swimming. Yeah. Stroke. Stroke. If you think about all of this, it's way too much.
0: Yeah, but you're blocking stuff out of your head.
1: Right. So if you just say stroke, stroke, but think about it. All day long we have to do that. If we actually really thought all the time about what's to come or what's happening... By the way, we're all going to die. Like, it's it's not a pretty picture. None of us are getting out of here alive. Right. So to be able to focus your thoughts on just your breath or just your stroke, to me, is just a, a great exercise in how to live your life.
0: But it also takes some kind of an extraordinary discipline.
1: I think that, that was it. one of the first times I ever used that exercise of just stay right were here. Were you Lila, prepared to be right able here. to
0: do that mentally with some other book that you read or something somebody said something. I,
1: I will say that yoga has helped me in that with yoga you really work on your breath. But in this particular situation that we're talking, it was simply survival. I knew I wanted to finish. Mm-hmm. I knew I didn't want this to end badly. Right. And in order to finish, I was gonna have to take control. And I think we all have that we have that every day of our lives when Something happens, can we take control? And how awful it is when we lose control. Right.
0: Somehow or another you're speaking five languages. I don't know how somebody could speak fluently in five languages. I had trouble with Spanish while my mother was from Cuba. Did she speak Spanish to you as a child? She, she, she only swore to us in Spanish.
1: <laughs> so your swearing so is we, good.
0: The swearing is great. <laughs> But so what languages? So this, I know it's one is Hebrew, and Ohad here, my producer, is uh, able to speak he- in Hebrew. You and so, what are so
1: my mother said I never understood English, but we'll include that one as okay. okay. language right. number one. And then uh, the next language I learned was German.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now the reason I... was that because
0: Bon? Uh, in in, in Bon is where I bon, learned bon, German. Bon, yes. Bon,
1: now bon. my dad was actually born in Germany, but never spoke to us in German. Mm -hmm. So I actually called home for the first time from Germany when I was there as a college student and spoke to my dad in German and he responded in German. Wow. And it was like a little boy speaking German. It was so fascinating. Hmm, that's cool. Um, but I wanted to learn German because my parents, my grandparents, they all told us, you know, had secrets in German. And I wanted to know what the heck <laughs> they were saying. I think that's where my love of language came, is that I knew my grandparents could speak multiple languages. Why can't I? Right. Um, I married a Cuban, so that's helping my Spanish for sure. Mm-hmm. And... Um,
0: that's Ed uh, Fernandez. Mm-hmm, yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Yes. And so that's my Spanish. What did I give you? I gave you... German, Hebrew, English, Spanish, and then I have a little of a lot of languages: French, Greek, you know, they're the, really? and Croatian. Oh. I mean, where I can where does I can, that come from? Where, where did that come from? I? I I um I spent a lot of time in Croatia. Uh, through my college years, I had a boyfriend who was Croatian. That's usually the best way to minute. learn so a language. So is this a is this a learning
0: experience? Is <laughs> sending you to Croatia for is this a school? Uh,
1: uh, I, I went on a school trip, and then I was visiting back and forth and and traveling. Yeah, but I loved. Here's the thing: once you learn one language, yeah, you want to learn another and another and another. And then I realized I had a talent for hmm. languages. You know, there, I just knew that I had an ear for but a languages. Lot of people
0: can't do that. Well,
1: all know. of us learned. All of us learned English
0: so yeah. or
1: whatever language we speak. So Which we are supposed
0: to be a difficult language right. as it is.
1: So I, I don't think that we can't. I mm-hmm. do think part of it is, and it's why I do my adventures, mm-hmm. part of it is a choice. Are you willing to get uncomfortable? When someone comes to me and they speak with a really, really thick accent, mm-hmm. I don't think negatively of them. I think they have courage. That's somebody who is willing to get uncomfortable and speak in a language that they either aren't familiar with Or just aren't good at, but they're still willing to give it a go. Want to do it? All of us can do that, but we don't want to get uncomfortable. All of my adventures are about getting uncomfortable and getting comfortable with being uncomfortable.
0: Hmm. Okay.
1: Even though I'm uncomfortable sitting in this chair because I have questions (laughs) I want to ask you.
0: I don't think you're uncomfortable. Uh, And why
1: wouldn't you do an adventure with me? I tried. We're going to get to that. We're going to get to that.
0: Okay. So uh, then you cover Nelson Mandela's inauguration in South Africa. This is while you're at in Baltimore.
1: WBAL, and I think that was probably my greatest assignment ever. Um, They told me that I was going to go with the vice president's contingency to South Africa, along you know it was Hillary Clinton, and I mean the the list of Keep Maya are, you on, and, are you on
0: the plane with Hillary? So we flew
1: place? separately, but then we spent time with them at Maya Angelou. And, I mean, oh, wow. It was it was an amazing assemblance of incredible talents. Yes.
0: Yeah.
1: So, and to be in South Africa at such a momentous time, you felt the energy in the air. Mm-hmm. I always try to tell people how difficult it is to have an assignment like this because it doesn't matter what you cover. It doesn't matter what you see. You still have a minute 15 to tell that story. Right. I mean, no matter what, you're still doing it in 75 seconds. Wow. And how do you tell Nelson Mandela's inauguration in that short of time? <laughs> Plus, I was so giddy and excited like a little kid that when I would call back to talk to the producer and tell him about my story, he'd say, can you just calm down a little? Because um, <laughs> I was yeah. so excited.
0: Sure, of course. Um,
1: I remember being on the bus. They had shuttle buses that took you into Pretoria for the inauguration. And I remember being on the bus and outside, you would see people just dancing together in the street with such joy and such excitement to see a country changing. I mean, at the exact apex of the change was so exciting. And then we got to go into Soweto, which was so incredible at a time. So you're in the townships where there had been so much violence. And yet the symphony from Baltimore had given them their violins and they felt the answer to violence was violins. Hmm. And so to see these little children in the township playing violins was so spectacular. That would be so cool. Yeah. Wow. I'm so glad you asked me that question because that's a good memory.
0: I don't know how this happens, but is it the first interview with him or his first interview with anybody, uh, Salman Rushdie? Yeah. It
1: was was his first interview after coming out of hiding.
0: His very first interview. Yes. And you did that?
1: Yes, in Boston. How do you get By this point, I'm in Boston, and his book had come out, and we immediately asked for the interview, and they they had just decided that he was going to actually make a public appearance. And there I was, sitting with... I mean, I'm sitting in a hotel room, the door opens, he walks in, we have the camera set up, and boom, there I am, sitting with Salman Rushdie, and it was so incredible. Were you nervous? Extremely. I think I was nervous... Well, for our safety, mm-hmm. and because um, it was all so clandestine, mm-hmm. and, uh, and then just to make sure you get it right, because well, you know you only got a New York minute to get it right. right.
0: You leave Boston, you go to WDIV, you're doing a health show, and uh, you're there at DIV for how many years?
1: So it was a really cool thing to finally get a job in my hometown.
0: Because you're originally what from I'm from, from
1: Detroit, born and raised in Detroit. My parents were here, my grandparents were here. Mm-hmm. So to be here in Detroit was a really cool thing. Where'd you go in high school? I, I went to uh, Cranbrook. Okay. So Kingswood. Yeah. So to uh, to come back home was pretty pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. And um, I always say my parents loved it because they could mute me whenever they wanted to, <laughs> um, and I. Really enjoyed my time, you know. Of all, I, I'm one of the few people who've made it around the dial. I've worked on all the stations in right, Detroit, yeah. and uh, I really, really loved the team at at Channel Four. But pretty
0: much, I mean, they were asking you to come to their station, which was right? really cool. That's pretty cool. It's very different. As things go with this, this kind of a career,
1: and growing up, you know, watching Mort Krim and then sitting next to him on the anchor desk, that was yeah. that was really cool. And really then, cool. of course, I love Devin, and yeah. and so to be with Devin and Chuck, and you know, all these names that are all you have to say is Devin or Chuck, and everybody knows who I'm talking knows, about.
0: Yeah, we had a uh, interview with Devin, and uh, talking to him, uh, we were talking about Mort, and that Mort was a piano player. I didn't know that. Well, I kind of knew it, but. Uh, Devin had uh, said that uh, Mort Krim was uh, a musician who was named uh, Arkansas Slim. He didn't quite get that right. It's actually uh, Slim Krim <laughs> from, from the Arkansas Travelers. Slim so Crim. it was close enough. What? What a You then, uh, you're going over to Fox. From... So
1: I had decided that it was time for a change. Mm-hmm. I had decided that I had done television and it's time for something new.
0: Right.
1: now all of us think about this at one point or another and actually right now with the great resignation people in all industries are thinking about it more than they've ever thought it before people are quitting at record numbers and be trying to think what else can I do mm-hmm. problem is it takes tremendous courage and a lot of self-searching because you may think you want something different but the truth is, you just may not be happy on the inside, so you're looking for a change on the outside. Mm-hmm. You're going to get to the next place, and it's going to be a, very similar to where you are right now, because oh you know a common denominator yep. is you. So I got out of television, and I'm so brave. You see, if you want to be king of the jungle, you got to get out of the cage. So I thought I got out of the cage. Well, it's scary out there. Mm -hmm. You know, you really have to be able to be comfortable being uncomfortable, which I don't think I was comfortable not being. I mean, if I wasn't the TV lady, who was I? I don't even think I had an identity other than that Mm -hmm. at that point in my life. Right. So the moment and I truly, people don't believe me when I tell them this, I truly had no plans to ever return to television. Really? And the moment Fox called, I took the offer. I mean, Boom.
0: Was the show that you did called Extreme Lila?
1: As soon as I got there and they saw the crazy things I do just naturally in my life, mm-hmm. they said, you should be doing that
0: in, on camera. On camera.
1: And so, okay. The other thing is, they always knew, if there was something crazy like flying an F-18 or jumping out of an airplane, let's get Lila. She'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> so eventually, it came to be known as Extreme Lila. And. It probably was one of my favorite franchises because it was so... You know, you can be a meteorologist but not be passionate about the weather. Right. I was so passionate about Extreme Lila for all the reasons I've mentioned. It takes you to the absolute edge of your comfort zone.
0: Yeah. And uh, speaking of that, that's why I started off our interview with... Uh, ba-ba-da. So listen, as it goes, you're diving out of an airplane... With, it, with, with a 90 year old yes. woman. You're on her back, she's on your back. I don't know who's on whose back. <laughs> Whatever it is. And then by the way, I thought about myself, I could I do that? And then I thought well, Say yes
1: and I'll take you tomorrow.
0: No, I can't do it. well, wait. <laughs> but I, I thought if I'm on that edge with the door open, twenty thousand feet above the earth, I could say to myself, Dan, you can do this, you can do this. Or I could say, I know Lila did this, I can do this. Or I could say, okay, uh, uh, I know God will protect me from from splattering on the ground. Or I could say, Lila, kick me in the rear end, and then I'll go. I don't know which one of those works better, is what I'm saying. And so that's a conundrum for me, uh, to make that determination of how do I cross that line.
1: So I wasn't nervous getting in the plane, let's say. Mm-hmm. I was definitely more nervous than the ninety-year-old woman, but I, I you know, when I first uh,
0: what? went out, she, she wasn't nervous because
1: yeah, stop. <laughs> <Whatever>. <laughs> I'm
0: sorry, I'm sorry. Okay.
1: So when I first went skydiving, very first time, I wasn't really that nervous. Suiting up, getting into the plane, we go up six thousand feet. I'm thinking, oh, this is kind of high. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're halfway. I'm like, what? <laughs> you're already above the clouds, and you're only halfway. So then I started, you know, to think about it a little bit. The one you get nervous is when they open the door. And suddenly your feet are at the edge of the door.
0: And this is your first... Yes. And that
1: is... That's a nervous moment. Yeah. But once you take the leap, and again, this is a metaphor for everything. Once you take the leap, there's a quote. When you come to the edge of the light and step into the darkness... You have to know that one of two things will happen either you'll find something solid to stand on or you will learn to fly and i think about that quote with every adventure i do now do i do some crazy stuff i mean yes i ride motorcycles and
0: i know i've seen that but if
1: we're really honest with each other everything we do involves danger especially nowadays I'm not even sitting six feet from you right now. Yeah, right, right. So there isn't anything that we do that doesn't have a little bit of danger. right? Does it add to your life or does it take away? It's the same way I think of the humans I hang around with. When you're with a person, when they walk away, are you left with a negative one, a zero, or a plus one? How do you feel when it's over?
0: And what do you do in terms of all these adventures that you've had, do you reflect on them? Do they come to mind often? All
1: the time, all the time, and they inspire me for the next adventure, too. Mm-hmm. Life is so short. Think about it this way if we say, let's say we have 40 years left, let's just say, okay, it means we've got about 2,080 weekends left. Mm-hmm. I got about, let's say, 2,000, you know, we got a lot of obligations. I have less than 2,000 adventures left in me for the weekend. That sort of lets me say, I want to live this one full out. I want to experience life full out. Now, an adventure doesn't have to be rock climbing and jumping out of airplanes. It could be having the conversation that you know you should have had years ago with a relative with whom you're somehow not in good terms. Mm -hmm. It could mean finally going after the job you've never gone for. It could mean, I don't know, cleaning out that room you've been talking about cleaning out. Hmm. Your wife's been talking to me. But when you put it that way, it makes you really want to live your life full out. And listen, I have an adventure each, and I'm sorry for talking so much.
0: I have
1: have an adventure each and every day. There isn't a day, today you're my adventure, just so Mm -hmm. you know. There isn't a day that goes by that I don't insert adventure, because it makes life better. Whatever your version of adventure is, it could be just working in your garden.
0: Because you've had these adventures. Yes. Because you can reflect on them. Mm-hmm. For the moments that you're living right now, you feel better about yourself because you have had these adventures.
1: I love that you just asked that question. Because the thing that I ponder these days is this. If you want to feel good about you, mm. do something every day that you are proud of. You know, when we're kids, we do th- something that we know mommy will be proud of or daddy will be proud right. of. But what do you do every day that you're proud of. And maybe it's just making your bed. But when I do something that I think is something so over my ski tips, but I'm not going to let fear stop me, I'm proud of myself.
0: Yesterday, for me, it was watering the plants.
1: <laughs> hey, whatever like, it is takes. It.
0: I know it's not uh, too dramatic, but whatever. Hey,
1: they're, they're thankful
0: they <laughs> like did it. Yeah, didn't. <laughs> yes, they are. Uh, I'm going through some of this, what you've done in your adventure, some state You're kayaking Damn. on the Detroit River you're running marathons, you're teaching yoga, you're an avid motorcyclist, you're named an ambassador for motorcycle safety. Uh, well, that's a Michigan thing? Yes, uh, the, I was named whatever. that by
1: the Secretary of State way back when and um, I always was one of those who believe, you know, four wheels may move your body, but two wheels moves the soul. When the wind is going through your face and when you're just, you know, it's just you and the bike. Now, with people texting now and traffic and potholes, yeah. it's a little disconcerting. Yeah, yeah right. Um, so I either ride on roads that I'm pretty sure are going to be pretty much abandoned, or I go on a pack.
0: And how often are you doing this?
1: So lately I haven't been riding as much because Michigan weather has just been pretty kooky. You know, like you and I are speaking now, you know, in mid to late spring, and yet it feels a
0: little more like winter. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. These, you're riding in a pack. So yeah. now I'm trying to envision this. Uh, yeah, so, so big are these, burly guys with tattoos. Are they the with the horns? The, oh, yeah. You do, you're do. you doing that.
1: Oh, yeah. I've ridden across the country to New Orleans and back. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: You climb the Grand Canyon.
1: Rim to rim and back again every year, first Four, weekend in October.
0: 48-mile climb.
1: Yep. And uh, I do it because it's there. I do it because it makes me feel alive. I got to tell you, you start at night in the dark. To the moonlight the only light you have is on your forehead
0: you have those uh, a headlamp yeah
1: your see with your headlamp you see a small path it takes you down seven miles okay you don't want to get too close to the edge trust me <laughs> by the time the Sun starts to rise a canyon appears all around you and you have the moon setting and the Sun rising and the canyon is glorious so you've gone down 7 miles then you go seven miles straight across, which is, and you, you know, it's not not difficult, but magnificent, yeah. right along the, the the river, and then seven miles straight up. Now, I'm not going to lie; there are many points during that seven miles straight up that you just you think you you can't make it, and you have to muster everything you have to say. Just take the next step. But yet, take the with next that step. that
0: realization, you would still do it again.
1: Because once you get to the top and you see that glorious view from the North Rim, mm-hmm. all you want to do is say to yourself, I'm going to see this another time. Plus, they have great food up there. <laughs> and oh. you're starving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: You Machu Picchu in Peru, which is a, a beautiful, beautiful.
1: Spectacular. Now it's getting such a, it's become such a popular adventure that they're actually thinking of closing it off, I heard, and just taking a... Cable car and flying you over it, as opposed to allowing you to hike five, up, as the Incas did.
0: But that was a five-mile or five-day five day, five deal day,
1: up to a glacier. Mm. I remember just shivering, shivering in the in the tent as we were, you know, making our way because it was so cold. You went through so many ecosystems, but how spectacular! And to think how these people, without power tools, were able to build this city at the top of the mountain—it's spectacular. Wow.
0: Amongst all these other things you're doing, you're then you're in a couple movies, Mind Hunter, and then Manhunt in 2019, 2020. I don't know why you did this, but you decided to do this uh, uh, for your just what your own edification. So you would know what it would be to be in a film, to see what Ooh. it's like to be in the movies. To,
1: to <laughs> I gotta tell you, I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed the experience mm. of being in movies. Um, and uh, go figure, I played a newscaster in, in both. Mm. Um, it's fun. You have a trailer with your name on it, but here's the thing: it's like taking a limousine ride alone. You're in the trailer by yourself, and you got a name on it. Like, <laughs> eh. and the movies is a lot of hurry up and wait. Yeah. But I, you know, you do get you do get envelopes with like money
0: from the movie
1: <laughs> every time the movie
0: I don't know airs. They call in, those residuals. Residuals <laughs> every time
1: it airs in another country. Now the checks are like eight dollars and forty two cents. Doesn't but matter. But it's still a yeah.
0: right? <laughs> Where I met you was uh, some years ago as you became the spokesperson for St. Joe Mercy uh, Hospital Systems.
1: Now Trinity Uh, Health.
0: Trinity Health, courtesy of uh, our introduction through uh, Michelle Shipka, Lauren Smoker, those wonderful wonderful people people, that do that. And uh, so uh, that's how we met. But I had known of you years before watching you on television or seeing you at events i never had the nerve to go up and talk to you because i couldn't follow you you were either walking so fast uh because you're so you're not just type a you're type of uh, quadruple a i don't know what you are uh but in any case i'm wondering now i'm going to another part of your life i'm wondering how does this all happen did she did she start reading Anthony Robbins or Arianna Huffington, these so, books about these things, or or did she follow, um, well, I, I don't know following who, but it seems to me that you're somewhere between a female version of Rocky Balboa and Evil Knievel. <laughs> <laughs> Is that right?
1: Can you morph my face with theirs? <laughs> yeah.
0: I'm thinking, how does this all happen? And then I thought, okay, who is Lila? And then I look at your name as I'm digging in, I see the name Orbach. And then it signals to me that I remember Evelyn Orbach, because I had had some interaction with her back in the day. Wow. And so I wasn't terribly surprised to know that you've got all this fascination with exploration and adventures uh, adventuring through life and that, by the way I also had some interaction with your father, Cantor wow. Harold Orbach, because I played bar mitzvahs back in the day <laughs> Temple Israel Right? Wow. so that was a little surprise I wanted to tell you but I, uh, having said that that your parents were very, very type A personality to me and so, is that where this came from? You have three other siblings, right? Correct. And are they anything like you? So, my brother definitely uh, sort of molded his own
1: path and was very adventurous, without question. Both my parents, as you just said, you know, my mom was the founder of the Jet Theater and was into theater.
0: That's a Jewish ensemble theater.
1: Correct. And people always said, you know, like, I, my husband didn't have a, a mother-in-law, at had a theater-in-law, because theater was her universe. Mm-hmm. And um, she lived in pre-theater. My father, cantor and an opera singer. And he always believed, if God was a creator, and you want to be God-like, you must create. So they were both very, very creative all the time. Right. To be creative is to be adventurous. It's to go someplace. I mean, advent- what is adventure? Any adventure is exploration of unknown territory. Right. If you want to do something different than you're doing now, if you want your life to be different than it is, do relationships, anything, you've got to create an adventure.
0: So I'm going to switch this little discussion to something that I personally think about all the time, and that is free will versus predestination. Mm. And I know it's a deep well, but I want to know how you think about this.
1: So, I was an overweight teenager. I I never met a cookie I didn't like. I was not athletic. I had no particular fitness regimen. Mm-hmm. And I did a story on a man with no legs. Mm. And I realized I had never used mine. What do you mean? I had never walked, run. Oh, I see. Like, I walked to the car or to the couch (laughs) or to the refrigerator most often. Right. But I had never done anything physical and I was 30 and, um, so I decided to do a run-walk one mile and then two and then four and then six and ended up running the Boston Marathon. Now, you have to qualify for the Boston Marathon but if you do it for charity, I ran for the Liver Foundation, Mm -hmm. you don't have to Mm -hmm. qualify so my first marathon was the Boston Marathon and I'm telling you this to say I believe it's a choice people say to me all the time where do you get your energy Mm -hmm. where does that come from now my mom had great energy too I know. and I remember as a kid always trying to keep up with her because she was so fast but I believe it's a choice Mm -hmm. I remember my grandmother who I was very close to we were walking in Northland Mall back in the day (laughs) Mm-hmm. And my grandmother was probably I don't know 97 at the time mm-hmm. and she's walking the way a 97 year old would walk and I said grandma walk like a young woman Wow! and she started strutting down Northland <sighs> like she was walking the runway and I realized energy is a choice
0: a power a choice or, or power suggestion or both.
1: I mean or? you can be inspired to use your energy yeah. But every morning When the alarm goes off Do you jump out of bed or do you hit the snooze Is it your choice I like to jump out of bed Like something amazing is about to happen Do I do that every day? No But I know it's better than hitting the snooze
0: Okay Was this built though Into your DNA Right from the get go that this is the determination that at the age of 30 you're going to say I'm going to start using my legs. Mm-hmm. I, this is my question.
1: I don't think so. And I say this only because then my siblings also would have somehow had some sort of epiphany at 30 and changed who they are.
0: Your parents had influence on you then?
1: But nobody else was like running marathons or doing that kind of crazy But your parents stuff. had um, influence on you? I would say that in terms of creativity and risking. You know, my dad used to say, when you have opportunity to do something, do it. Even if it's in front of others, you may get slapped. Every time you put your face out there, you might get slapped. Put your face out there anyway. Don't be afraid to step out.
0: Well, I have to say, this has been a very fascinating- Wait, there's something I wanna show you. Fascinating, oh, hold on, hold on, we're not done, okay.
1: So, yeah, something just happened that I want to share with you. Okay. I just got this today. So, for the last six months working remote and that kind of thing, I was actually thinking about a lot of the questions you are forcing me to think about. Like, how do you shape a day? How do you come up with these adventures? Mm-hmm. How do you plan your life? If you have dreams, how do you make them happen? I believe they happen one morning at a time. And I believe your most creative moments, not, some people are night owls and they're very creative at night, But I believe your most productive time to set your goals and your dreams in motion happen every morning. You're uninterrupted. You're not distracted.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And so, I, together with Monica Toomey, who's this incredible woman, she's the one who, together with five people, raised half a million dollars to feed the front line during quarantine, the nurses and the doctors. So she's a doer, man. And so... She also believes in the power of mornings. And together, we created a journal that helps. It's a prompt-based journal that helps you come up with a way to put your goals, your dreams, your adventures into action. It's what made me think I only have 2,080 weekends left, let's say, if I live another 40 years. How do I want to live those moments? What do I want to create? You know, you have to think of your life that way or your dreams stay dreams. That's pretty compelling. it's called Morning Matters. I haven't even, you know, I haven't published it yet. This is just the prototype, but I'm really excited about it. So you'll be hearing more about
0: this. That's great. The incomparable Lila Lazarus. It's so nice to have you here. Thank Thank you. Thank you.